This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for January 27, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. The message is by Father Ron Baird. If this week's lessons were a television show, at the end of it, they would say, To Be Continued. As both the epistle and today's gospel lesson give you the first part of which the punchline actually comes next week, uh, which makes it interesting to preach on, I can tell you. (laughs) Um, And what it is is that we're in the season of epiphany and we're looking for those ways in which God becomes manifest to us, ways in which we see God in the world about us. In today's gospel lesson, we have the story of Jesus' first sermon. It must have been an exciting time. His mother was proud, I'm sure, you know. She was there. And, I mean, it must have been a great time. And, and the village elders were all gathered around, you know, the, this young boy they'd seen grow up. And, and now he, here he was, he's going to preach for the very first time in the synagogue. And so they bring him the scroll of Isaiah, you know, that great prophet. And um, he reads, and, you know, because you get to pick what you're going to read. And so he reads from the scroll, and they've heard him read and, and you know, before because you read when you are bar mitzvahed. Um, and then it says he sat down. Now, in those days, they, they had a better idea than we do. Now the, the preacher stands up and the people sit down. Back then the people stood up and the preacher sat down. Um, personally, I think it would be better if we went back to the old ways. But, um, <laughs> but he sat down, and it says all eyes were fixed on him. You know, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? And he says, looks at him and says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine the looks on their faces? At first it was probably, huh? <laughs> and Until they start realizing what he means. And he means he is the fulfillment of the salvation of God. And... I have to say, my first sermon did not bomb nearly as bad as Jesus's did. Um, next week, we'll hear about what happened. They try to throw them off a cliff. I mean, they're, they're not happy about it. But as we look at manifestations of God, it, it points to a, a real issue that was true then and is true now. And that's that when they saw Jesus there preaching, they saw Jesus, you know, Mary and Joseph's son, Jesus. They didn't see the Christ they couldn't see the Christ in him. Elsewhere, we see that it says that Jesus could do no great works in his hometown because of their lack of faith. And they just couldn't see it, even when it was right in front of them. You know, what they saw was what they expected. And so they couldn't quite get there. And we have that same problem today. All too often, we forget to see the living Christ in fellow Christians. You know, think about that. Whenever we engage in conversation with other people who have been baptized into the body of Christ, we are engaging in conversation with the Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace himself. So I want you to turn and look at somebody near to you, look in their face and see what you see. Anybody see Jesus anywhere? <laughs> If we gave that thought the way we should, it would make a big difference, wouldn't it? Imagine when you're um, 
saying that cutting remark to your spouse, <laughs> if you realize you were talking to the Lord God, King of the universe himself, you might reconsider. <laughs> I don't think I said that. Or when your brother or sister in Christ at the church does something that is less than uh, the way that you think it should be done, and you become critical of them if you saw the face of Jesus in them first, would you use the same words? Would you say the same things? Now, we can always fall back on that typical human um, response, which is called rationalism. It was that woman you gave me. <laughs> I didn't want to eat it. She made me. You know, and what we'll say is, well, they're not acting like Jesus. But does that make Jesus' presence any less real? Do we get to control Jesus' presence by the wire behavior? We get to decide whether or not the Lord God comes into the, our midst or not? No. He's given to us by virtue of our baptism. And so when we encounter one another, we also are encountering the Lord Jesus. That's why he says frequently, whatever you do to the least of these, you have done to me. And so every time that we are driving down the road and we give those road gesture signs to people driving. I wonder if we would do that if we saw the face of the Lord Jesus when we were driving. <laughs> I know, it was that woman you gave me. <laughs> and the mere fact that, that as human beings we are not perfected in our ability to, to live into the full stature of Christ does not negate His presence or His holiness in our midst. Otherwise, you all waste your time coming here because quite honestly, it's like when people are looking for pastors, they always want someone who is perfect, you know. And I always think, anybody who puts out a job description for bishop, priest, any of those things, who's looking for perfect people are, are self-delusional. And they are asking for what they get because nobody is going to tell them the truth because they want somebody perfect and they don't exist. So what we do is we teach each other how to lie. There's a good Christian vocation for you. Hide your, your foibles. And in, if in doubt, deny everything. Yeah, I mean, it's the American way, isn't it? And yet, Imagine what it would be like if instead what we did for when we looked for our, our leaders in Christ, if what we did for was look for confessional people, not people who weren't sinners, but people who could actually tell you what they were. These are the sins I struggle with. You know, a lot of times we go, oh, well, we, you know, we couldn't possibly deal with that. We wouldn't want that here. When in reality, you ought to be glad <laughs> because you know what to look for. And the person's already admit that they sin that way. And if it starts, you know when to step up and be of help. Say, I don't think you want to go down that road. But we don't do that, do we? And so the, the mere fact that we don't live into the full stature of Christ, that we have not grown up into that full stature, does not give the rest of us an excuse to not see Jesus in the face of the other. Because he's still present. He's promised to be present with us. He says, anyone um, who, I stand at the door and knock, anyone who opens to me, I will come in and I will abide with them. So it says, and so we talk about Jesus living in our heart. Or Jesus, Christ within us. And, and it's true. He is with us. Even to the end of the age. 
So why do we do the things we do? Well, part of it is that we're all different. I mean, you know, and we all have different things that we think are important. And, and so what we do is we, if, if somebody is doing something we don't think is as important as what we think is going on, much like when you're going to work in the morning and the person who's driving in front of you at a nice, enjoyable pace and enjoying the morning that God gave them and listening to the radio and just seems to be happy-go-lucky and you're late, and they don't seem to understand that, that God created these roads for you to get to work, um, then you have to put them in their place and get them straight. But the problem with that is that when we do that, we become our own God. We begin to think it's all about us. When in reality, it never was about us. You know, it's always been about God. And so we have to begin to look at all the members of the body the same. And, and it's so hard for us to do. In our society, we have a terrible time with this. You know, people, as they get older and they're shut in, have fewer and fewer people who they hear from because everybody's busy. They don't have time. And plus, what's that person going to do for me? If I go there, what are they going to do? They're going to tell me the same story they told me the last 20 times I went there. So I already know that story. I don't need to hear that because it's about us, not about them. And we end up in this trap of looking for our own fulfillment and feeling emptier and emptier and emptier. Paul talks about it in the epistle today when he talks about that we are all parts of the body of Christ individually. We are members of it. Just like, you know, your your body, you have a hand and a foot and different parts, you know, so does the body of Christ. It has different members who perform different functions within it. And, and he's pretty clear about that. And he says it's an amazing thing because the things that we deem as less honorable in the body, we tend to adorn um, with the better things. And he didn't even know about Victoria's Secret. <laughs> Just think of that. Paul, 2,000 years ago, predicted the invention of a whole industry in advertising. That's pretty good. I mean, that's impressive. And so, you know, we, we adorn them with, with more clothing or special things. And what we do, though, is we don't have the right to say to part of our body, I have no need of you. And it says that if one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. So imagine when, when we inflict that suffering on one another, you're really inflicting suffering upon yourself. That makes sense, doesn't it? You know, I've come to be sort of acutely aware of that this week. I had surgery on my hand, which is why I have this goofy thing on here. And um, when it hurts, I hurt. <laughs> I don't think I'm fine, but my hand is hurting. <laughs> you know, it just hurts. And when I can't use it to do something, then I can't do something. It affects everything that I do. I don't say, well, I'm really ticked off at you. What are you doing? Get with the program. Don't you know how to do anything right? You know, I don't say, go away. I don't slap it around because if I slapped it around, it'd be really bad. <laughs> I mean, so what do I do with it? What do you do when you have something that is painful? Complain. Now, what do you do with it? <laughs> Not to others, to it. <laughs> We take care of it, don't we? Because we want it to be taken care of. 
The same is true for the body of Christ. That's what we should do for one another. Instead of seeing, you know, when one does something well and, and giving those people the accolades, and when somebody doesn't do something so well, just kind of go, oh, man, how are we going to get them to stop doing that stuff? It's terrible. What if what we did was try to help them be better and appreciated what they did give? Well, we don't typically do that, do we? We don't look to build them up. It's one of my great peeves of our educational system. Drove me crazy when I was in it. Don't like it now. Um, when people, teachers go through and grade papers, and they go through and mark it, right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong, and then the grades at the end. And I keep thinking, I have no idea why that was wrong. So how did I learn anything? I mean, obviously, I didn't put down the wrong answer on purpose. I wasn't thinking, watch this, I'm going to put down some wrong answer, see if they can catch it or something. So whenever I have taught in, in some college classes, or thing, one of the things I've always done is I go through and I make all these comments all the way through the whole thing, you know, explain why is it good, you know, why is it not sufficient, because even that should be a learning experience. It's not simply an evaluation of whether you're good or bad or whether you measure up or not. Because the truth is, is if we really want to decide whether or not we measure up, the answer is no. We don't. None of us measure up. So we all failed. Now can we get over it and get back to trying to improvement? And that really is what it ought to be about. The other problem with it is, is that all too often we, we tell people when they want to help with something, oh, that's okay, I don't need any more help. What Scripture say about saying parts of the body I have no need of you? Oh, that's not supposed to do that, are you? Why is that? Because what's the likelihood that they're going to keep helping? One of the things that happens with little kids when they're like uh, three, four, they start wanting to do things. They want to vacuum the rug. They want to carry the dishes and put them in the dishwasher. And we tell them right off the bat, oh, no, no, don't do that. Because they're not very good at it, are they? Then they might break something or... Might run over the dog's tail with a vacuum cleaner or, or, or something might happen. So we discourage them. And then we are shocked when they're teenagers and we say, could you run the vacuum? They go, no. <laughs> Gee, I wonder where they learned that. You know, we teach them. And we do the same thing in the church. The church very typically teaches people that there's a few people up front, one of whom gets to wear a funny plastic collar, um, and who they do, they're the ministers. They even call us ministers. I don't know what the rest of you schmucks are, but <laughs> we're, we're ministers. You know, that's important. And, and then you have a very few people doing all the work. And the rest of you are supposed to sit out there in glory and our radiance, I guess. But is that really growing into the stature of Christ? You know, could the body really function that well if all parts of it weren't functioning? And we end up seeing that in the body, too, because a lot of times what happens is, like, here, we have about you know, 350 members or so. And what percentage do you think actually do ministry of some kind? It's higher than that, actually. Here, we do pretty well for a church, I think, but... It's more like 60 to 70. Yeah, see how happy we are? Now, now picture this. Imagine if 30% of your body did nothing. <laughs> Would you be going, yay? <laughs> Probably not. And what ends up happening is that the people who do things burn out because they get tired. 
um, because they're doing too many things. And they're trying to carry the load for the people who aren't doing anything. Whereas if everybody would just pitch in, you know, four hours a week, say, that's a tithe of the average work week. Well, what's supposed to be the average work week? (laughs) And if, if people just did that, if everybody, think how many hours would be available to do ministry in the church from that. Oh, but that wouldn't work because they don't know how to do it, do they? We'd have to tell them they were doing it wrong. You know, churches in the mainstream always want more members. Everybody wants more members. You know, we like more members because we need more money. And so we have to have more members. The only problem with people is that they don't seem to get that they're supposed to put aside their way of doing things and their gifts and do it the way we tell them. It's amazing, isn't it? They don't get that. I wonder why. You know, we still live in the past where kids grew up in the church and then they became the ones who did everything in the church. And as the older people, and we still, and that was the only way they ever knew to do it too. So it was the way it was done. When I first came into the church, I came in as an adult. I'm sure I drove most of the people who were supervising me in one form or another crazy because, you know, they would say, now here's what you do. And my first question would be, why? And they go, what? I'd say, why? Why do you do that? Well, because that's the way it's done. And I'll say, well, I gathered that, but but why is it done that way? Well, because it's always been done that way. And then after a while, I learned a great phrase, which they didn't appreciate either. But it was, you mean Jesus did that? Well, I... So why do we do it? Does it make sense? I remember a long time ago, if I'm talking about somebody here, I promise you, I really don't remember who you are. But when we were over in, on State Street, um, it was oh, 10 years ago maybe when when teenagers wore flip-flops all the time. You don't remember flip-flops? This poor guy invented Crocs. Um, and so all the teenagers would wear flip-flops, including the acolytes. And so it made for an interesting procession. Flap, 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 flap all the way up the aisle. And so people, you know, who, who grew up in church, you know, where you were supposed to wear dress shoes to church and look your best on Sunday, would say, Father Ron, can't you do something about these acolytes wearing these flip-flops? You know, can't they wear dress shoes or something? And I thought about it, and then I said, well, I suppose I could, but I just wouldn't feel right about it. And I said, well, why not? I said, well, as near as I can tell, Jesus wore flip-flops. <laughs> so how do you complain about something Jesus did? My real point was, you're majoring in minors. You know, I suppose we can tell the teenagers, you all don't belong here because you aren't like us and go away. Gee, the church has been telling teenagers that for a while now. We're running them all out. Do you know that on a Sunday morning, fewer, less than 20% of Americans are in a church on any given Sunday morning? 80% of the people have gone somewhere else. Gee, I wonder why. Is it because life in Christ is so boring and, and unfulfilling? Or is it that we forgot to see the face of Christ in one another? And so we have to take this seriously to begin to look for the manifestations of Christ in each other. Before we speak or act, we need to first talk to Jesus in that person. And realize that he is there and what we say or do to them, we do to him. And I suspect that it would be quite different. And it's kind of like your family. You know, you might say things to your spouse that you would never say to a friend. Like call him an idiot or something. Because they'll forgive you, right? 
But maybe what we really need to do is to treat one another as though we were the dwelling places of God. And if we did that and valued one another, and then when things weren't going quite right or things weren't working, instead of seeing ourselves as the judge and jury who's going to be critical, see people as the people who would help to build up the body, say, here, let me help you with that and show you what works for me. And begin to learn new ways of doing things together then the church would be a very, very different place. And instead of hemorrhaging members, or somehow other people find all sorts of other things to do on Sunday, maybe we'd find more people want to be a part of it. And it all starts with that willingness to look for the face of Christ in the other. Do you do that? Are you willing to challenge yourself in Epiphany season, to look for the face of Christ, not only in your family and friends, but even in the people who you just really get irritated at? Are you willing to speak to Jesus in them? Because if you are, he will change you forever. You'll begin to see the world in a very different light. And the brokenness of the world won't be evil or bad or mean. It'll be broken. And it will be about all of us, the body, coming together to build up the whole church again. Pray that we can see Jesus as we've been sorely lacking and looking. Amen. You are just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrews is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.